0: Hello, everyone. Frequent listeners of this podcast will know that I have a particular interest in uh, marijuana, in uh, medical marijuana, and also uh, the legalization of recreational marijuana as it uh, is beginning to uh, spread across the United States. Um, We have covered uh, medical marijuana, we've covered recreational marijuana in past podcasts, uh, I'm going to revisit it again today, though. Uh, this episode was really born out of a, a news story that came out of Canada. Uh, Canada has passed a law that makes recreational marijuana legal now on a federal level, uh, and this fulfills a campaign promise that uh, the, from the Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau. And so uh, starting October 17th in 2018, uh, it will be legal to, uh, to use recreational marijuana in Canada. Uh, Now, there are some specifics uh, uh, in this law that I want to touch on, Um, but this really prompted this episode of the podcast because, number one, I was just interested in what the law says in Canada, but also was interested in what this might mean for the United States. I have invited a couple of previous podcast guests back to share their opinion as well. Uh, and along with mine, it might lead to uh, to an interesting discussion. Uh, I thought, though, I'd start with a quote. This is a quote from Canada's justice minister, a woman named Judy Wilson-Raybould. And I think it sums up my interest in, in, in this topic. Uh, Judy Wilson-Raybould said, quote, uh, that this change in the law represents a wholesale shift in how our country approaches cannabis. It leaves behind a failed model of prohibition that's made organized crime rich and left our young people vulnerable, unquote. Uh, I thought that uh, of all the quotes that I read, I thought that one uh, was one of the most interesting and sort of spurred me on this path to, to cover this issue in a podcast. I'll t- we'll talk about the specifics of the law here first before we get into what this might mean in the United States. Um, Just as an aside, Canada has had legal medical marijuana since 2001. And so now in 2018, it will be legal for adults in Canada to purchase non-medicinal marijuana uh, from authorized dealers. And uh, folks will be allowed to possess as much as 1.1 ounces of the drug while in public. Uh, Folks will be able to grow as many as four uh, cannabis plants for their personal use uh, in their household. Now, currently, uh, the law only covers uh, dry leaf marijuana. It doesn't cover candies, baked goods, or any other edibles. I think that will be addressed uh, in the future. Uh, but for now, those uh, types of items are will continue to be banned. Uh, the federal government will set the overall laws regarding recreational use and license growers, but it will be up to the individual provinces to determine how it will be sold to customers. I thought that's an interesting point, and again, I think that might be some blueprint for for the United States if they ever go down that route, where the federal government sets overall laws. But local provinces in this case will be able to determine how it's sold uh, at the age of, at which uh, folks can buy a uh, recreation of marijuana. So I think that I thought that point was kind of interesting in all of this information that I read. Now, some of the provinces, uh, specifically Ontario, will set up government operated stores to sell uh, marijuana to adults. Uh, over the age of 18 or 19, depending on the province that they're in. There are strict limits on advertising marijuana, and it will be sold uh, apparently in uniform packaging that will, will carry health warnings. Other provinces, uh, such as Alberta, uh, will license private sector retailers to sell marijuana to, to individuals. Now, I mentioned that the minimum wage will be uh, 18 or 19 each province will be authorized to make that determination. Uh, It is worth noting that the Canadian Medical Association had recommended a minimum age of 21. And I think, again, when we look at how it might set a blueprint for the United States, I think that's another issue uh, that we would look at, uh, the age at which a person would be able to buy uh, marijuana. Now, here's an interesting bit of information that I read. There are companies in Canada that of course have really taken the lead on this and there is a a company in Canada called Canopy and uh, it was interesting to note that they are working on an, uh, an industrial cannabis oil extraction process uh, where they hope uh, they can then create a new product that they think will really have an impact on the alcohol industry. Just, just as a side note, I've read that alcohol use is down 15% in US counties that legalize marijuana. I, I don't think we have any reason to think it would be any different in Canada, that in, in locations where uh, marijuana is legal, uh, there may be a resulting decrease in the amount of alcohol use. I think, I think we can sort of see the logic there. Uh, but this company, um, Canopy in Canada, uh, they're looking to to create some sort of product that will really make a dent in the alcohol industry. Now, um, the, the president of Canopy is a gentleman na- named Mark Zakulin. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. But he says, quote, we don't just want to sell a cannabis beer or a cannabis wine. For us, the job is to create something completely different, unquote. I, I found that. To be very interesting, Uh, I am uh, from a certain generation uh, that uh, you know marijuana was available uh, in a smoke uh, form. Uh, There may have been uh, uh, from time to time people I've seen uh, people that had THC pills or something like that. Uh, But uh, but more recently, as we've seen uh, marijuana become more and more uh, available, we've seen things like edibles. Uh, and and candies and the like. So it's going to be interesting going forward to see just what type of products might contain cannabis in the future. And this this gentleman from the uh, company Canopy talks about creating some sort of drink that is not a beer, it's not a wine, it's something completely different. And uh, so it's going to be interesting to watch that going forward. In Canada, the cannabis market will be... um, in many cases, grafted onto the liquor distribution systems with these uh, cannabis products sold in stores run by the same crown corporations that control the flow of alcohol. So um, that's just some of the specifics of the law in Canada as it will be when it uh, goes into effect on October 17th. There's still some open questions. The biggest one, of course, uh, being... Uh, the same one that uh, confronts uh, locations in the United States that have legal marijuana, and that is how to best test for and handle marijuana-impaired driving. Uh, that is still an ongoing conversation here in the States, and it's an ongoing conversation in Canada. But a- after having read all of that, uh, and again, uh, finding it interesting and, and and wanting to uh, track this as it goes forward from October 17th, uh, I thought about how will this impact the United States. One of the articles that I read about the cannabis production in Canada was was speaking to this idea that this move may actually give Canada an advantage over the United States when it comes to exporting marijuana to other countries as they begin to relax their laws. That an infrastructure, both uh, on the federal level and in the private sector, is being put in place in Canada that will give them a leg up when other countries, Germany was one of the countries that was identified, for example. As they start to relax their laws on marijuana, there may be a large uh, export business from Canada uh, to to other countries, and uh, and will this spur the United States to, in a sense, not want to get too far behind in this industry, and will this spur the federal government in the United States to take some sort of action um, in, for lack of a better term, uh, out of fear of being uh, left behind? I thought that was a very interesting argument. Will uh, public pressure in the United States ramp up now that our neighbor to the north uh, has illegal marijuana? Uh, will there be more pressure on the federal government, on state governments, on local municipalities to make uh, marijuana legal recreationally? Um, as I've mentioned before, my home state is Michigan. Um, and as we uh, sit here now, it appears that uh, on the ballot in November of 2018 will be the question of making a recreational marijuana legal here in Michigan. Now prior to the determination that it would be on the ballot, the public opinion polls I saw were something in the neighborhood of 65%, 62% in favor of recreational marijuana. So it appeared that would this, if this were to be on the ballot that it would pass rather handily. Um, I saw, now this is a small sample size, but I saw a couple of public opinion polls more recently, since the decision's been made to put it on the ballot, that say, uh, in fact, that uh, folks voting voting no may outnumber folks voting yes. So it's still an open question here in our home state of Michigan as to whether or not uh, uh, that would pass. Uh, so that uh, remains to be seen in November. Um As always, we are going to keep an eye on this, and if there are new developments, I'm sure we will cover this in a subsequent podcast. To help us further understand uh, the implications of uh, such a law in Canada and uh, what it might mean uh, for us here in the United States, I've asked Alan Barger to join me here on the podcast. Those of you who have Uh, Listen to our podcast, have heard Alan uh, talk about marijuana before. He is uh, well, well versed in the topic, and it's always my pleasure to talk to him. So I'd like to welcome uh, Alan to the podcast and uh, to thank him for his time. Alan, what can you uh, tell us about your opinion about the uh, developments there in Canada and how it might impact here uh, on those of us in the United States?
1: So, yeah, I guess, um, you know,
2: in, in terms of sort of what I think about, you know, Canada legalizing and, and all that kind of thing, I was, so, I was really struck by, I was, at least in the news reports that I've read, and again, you know, the Internet. In the reports that I read on it, uh, Prime Minister Trudeau um, uh, you know was saying that he thought this would be a way that they could like this was sort of how he was selling it at least was, but he saw this as a way to uh, sort of get a handle on the uh, sort of criminal aspects of uh, uh, the marijuana uh, industry, if you will. And um, he says protect, protect youth, you know protect our protect our young people, um, which, I mean, that just struck me as an odd rationalization, or maybe rationalization isn't a fair word, but an odd justification for for the policy, um, because legalization, um, on the one hand, I understand what he's saying about, okay, we would rather be producing this legitimately as opposed to funding uh, criminal enterprises, as it were. so uh, in one sense I get that, um, but if, if his take on that or if his belief on that is that that's sort of going to somehow reduce uh, use among youth, I don't, I don't see how that works. I mean, the, the truth is that the two most problematic substances that we already have here in the U.S., and I suspect it's the same in Canada, or the legal substances of alcohol and marijuana, and I haven't, uh, and I know we have laws in place to keep those out of the hands of young people. But on the other hand, I haven't, I haven't found those laws um, in my look at it. I haven't found those to be particularly effective. If your intention is to keep young people from using, I think it takes more than just legalization to do that. So that was sort of one thing that just sort of struck me as an odd, an odd way to. You know, promote this change in policy. Um, the um, uh, I haven't I haven't found that legalizing it, um, as a matter of fact, legalizing it. In my experience in the prevention field, um, legalizing it has has in fact just made it, on the one hand, more socially acceptable. Uh, which means more people are prone to do it. Which means there's more of it out there. Which means it's easier to access for people of virtually every age. Um, and so, I, um, I guess I'm a little um, surprised at the reasons that are being put forward for the for the change in Canada. Um, I think the other, uh, I think the other thing that um, that sort of struck me in that. Um, was you know that they were they were talking about the you know the revenue and that's something that you always hear are the revenues and so forth. There's no doubt about that. That that you know if you create a new revenue stream, you will get new revenue. But I'm also um, a little. Um, uh, I, I wish people were taking more. Um, A longer look, because what they tend to look at is who we're going to bring in all this money in terms of, uh, of uh, you know, taxing this and you know, um, having this new income stream. Um, But I don't, in all of those calculations, I don't hear anybody really talking about um, the costs, the social costs of that. So again, you know, with legalized with with alcohol and tobacco in this country. Those are our two legal substances already, and they don't pay their bills in terms of their social costs. So that is, they create more costs in terms of healthcare problems and, and lost productivity and um, disability uh, lost years and that kind of thing. Uh, they end up costing the economy more than they put into it by all the data that I have seen. And uh, it's one of the reasons that, you know, several years back, the federal government began a real push to, you know, to, to try and, and uh, uh, sort of decrease tobacco use in this country was because it, it was, in fact, one of the most expensive things that we were doing was, you know, funding the health care problems of the tobacco industry. So um, there's, a, you know, there's a part of me but I guess it sort of resigns to the fact that this is the way we're gonna go. Um, and there's, But there's another part of me that sort of wishes um, we wouldn't do sort of the pendulum swing. So I don't know Canadian history well enough to comment on that country. Um, in this country, we have a tendency to do what I just referred to as the pendulum swing. A, a policy, especially in our field, in the alcohol and drug field, a policy isn't working so let's push it all the way the other direction. It doesn't seem like anybody sits down to say, you know, this isn't working as well as we want it to. What can we change to make it work better? It's it's more like we've tried this side of the coin. Let's try the completely other side of the coin. And we we keep sort of swinging back and forth between what I view in some ways as extreme. So, for instance, in this in this country, I'm no fan of the war on drugs. Um, I think it's been used in really pernicious ways, especially in in uh, communities with uh, people of color. Um, and um, well, there's a whole that's a whole another issue we probably we don't have time for. But <laughs> but anyway, I think it's had its problems. Um, but I don't think the answer is just to say uh, let's just legalize it and. You know do do the opposite of what we've been doing. So that's um, I don't know how much that has to do with Canada um, so much as it does with what I see going on here in the US. Uh, but I think I think the Canadian, I think Canada legalizing that is going to put pressure on the US. Um, and uh, I think it it sort of clears the way. I mean, given that Canada is a G7 country, it's the first G7 country that has gone the whole route of legalization. I think other G seven countries are, that makes it easier and more likely for them to do the same, um, and and I think we're not looking at all the social costs on that. Right. So that's that's sort of where I am with that.
0: Can you, do, Alan, just talk a little bit more about how you think this might put pressure on the United States? Do do you think that that the. No. I was just asking if you think that uh, that it might put pressure on the federal government here in the United States to do something similar um,
2: I think uh, well I, I think that it could yes um, and the reason I think maybe that it could is just because um, I think people are going to see short term they are going to see some um, economic uh, benefits that are there and uh, the latest the latest data that I've seen in the u s is that the even even with the limited legalization that we have here in the u s that the marijuana industry is already a uh, somewhere between a seven and nine billion dollar industry now I say that and I realize it's going to go out on the air somewhere but on your on your cast so um, I that's that's my memory on what I've heard recently Um, and but it's a multi billion dollar industry and um, I think um, when you have you know places up along the Canadian border that are producing legally um, and are building the infrastructure of an industry I think I think that will the U.S. to try and not be too far behind in that, you know, in that particular game, if you
0: will. It's always a pleasure talking to Alan. I've known him for a number of years, and he is just a very talented uh, man with uh, with a lot of information. He knows what he's talking about. But I also wanted to to reach out to another gentleman you may be familiar with from a previous. Podcast. Dave Cruikshank is um, a council member in the in the village of Holly here in Michigan, uh, and he also is uh, well versed in uh, issues related to marijuana, uh, both medical and recreational, and the legalization of uh, of cannabis. So I thought I would reach out to him. I think he, uh, in some ways, has different opinions than Alan, and uh, and I thought it'd be worthwhile to talk to him too. So. Uh, I, I gave him a call. Now, uh, I want to tell you that uh, I reached uh, Dave while he was uh, in his car, so I apologize for uh, for the poor, poor audio quality, but I wanted to make sure that we gave him a chance to, to speak to us. Uh,
1: so first question, I guess, is uh, what are the thoughts on Canada's legalization? Um, I think it's a step in the right direction, and the reason being is that Studies are continually starting to come out um, of the benefits of it as a medicine, and also, you know, the it's not as bad as anybody thinks it was. As opposed to, you know, the 30s when it was actually, you know, passed as being an illegal uh, substance. Uh, stage one. It's just one of the first dominoes that are going to fall. Um, you know, President Trump has said many times that uh, he wants to leave this to the state, and, uh, you know, there's kind of an internal holy war going on in DC where Attorney General Jeff uh, Dutch is, you know, decidedly against it. Um, but there's things that are kind of leaking out a little bit that says Trump is going to do something in the near future here, and maybe kind of squash it so that it's. It's so much work and so much money for something that a majority of the American people have now realized it's safer than alcohol.
0: Do you think that um, this puts increased pressure on the federal government here in the United States to, uh, to take some action?
1: They're saying that it's almost you know a dry county kind of situation where people travel across state lines, get some, and then come back either bring it back or they're coming back you know somewhat inebriated. I guess um, I feel that we may have something like that once if you know the Michigan rule or law does not go into effect in November. I have no doubt that it won't pass, but let's just entertain that idea. I think it'll be similar to what you know the 90 year olds in Michigan do. They're Canada to go out with few drinks, and they come back, um, and I'd say percentage-wise, the kids are pretty safe. You know, we're not causing mass accidents, there's not mass to death. Of course, there's the, the idiots now and then that make some bad decisions, uh, but I don't think the alcohol would have played in a bad decision. that would have stayed on later on. Like it just got, you know, amped up a little bit, maybe. Uh, but, so I think, you know, for us being the state that, you know, we're only a few miles away, we could throw a stone to Canada, uh, it may have an effect. But I would say that if be so minuscule, that it wouldn't really be um, something that
0: would flip on a radar. Let me let me ask you this. This this is a little bit off topic, but I I'm preparing to to do another podcast. I'm going to follow up on an opioid podcast that I did, and there's a school of thought that that one of the advantages of legalizing marijuana is that it may reduce uh, dependence on opioids and uh, and potential overdose on opioids and opioid deaths I would imagine you concur with that
1: Yeah I would say it's not so much a an hearsay anymore that it's almost a fact that you look at those data and you study them over the years um, that it does have a, a substantial impact and I, in one of the town halls that I did uh, for medical marijuana in the town of Holly, in the village uh, there was Two distinct different people that, that marijuana had got them off of addictive drugs. And we're talking, you, you know, opioids. So we're talking the Vicodin, the Perfect the, you know the uh, Narco, and, and the, I forget what the patch is called, but, uh, you know, they're getting off of those where they weren't even hardcore drug addicts at that time. They were just uh, given the prescription and gotten addicted from their doctor. But eating off of that, marijuana has helped them.
0: Yeah, I think that's. Um that's probably a, another topic for another day, but I, I appreciate you weighing in on that.
1: Oh, for sure. No, I think it really does. And there's, you know, the stories upon stories, if you look for it, for people that have said, I was addicted to whatever, insert your drug here, and marijuana has brought them back from it. So it's almost like an anti gateway drug. It's kind of a, wow.
0: Yeah, you, met, you mentioned the veterans and the PTSD, and I, I think that uh, I think there, there's some exciting possibilities there. For sure. Well, there you have it. Uh, just a couple of opinions. Um, I'm sure that, uh, that there are many others. This is not a black and white issue. Uh, as always, uh, I would invite you to contact us if you have your own opinion. If you'd like to, to uh, come on and speak to us, we're always uh, open for that. Uh, this is going to be a developing story. Uh, this is going to be one that's uh, interesting to watch. Uh, Over the coming weeks, months, and years, and I'm sure this is not the last time that we will uh, address this issue in a podcast, and it's probably not the last time that we'll talk to Alan and Dave. I want to thank both uh, Alan and Dave for uh, being willing to talk to us today. I always appreciate uh, hearing from both of them, and uh, uh, we've got uh, some exciting uh, podcasts planned, so stay tuned for those, and I look forward to uh, hearing from you down the road. Thanks for listening to this episode of the ADE Spotlight podcast. If you would like to be a guest on one of our podcasts, or if you have an idea for a topic you'd like us to cover, please feel free to drop us a line. We'd love to hear your suggestions. If you haven't done so already, I encourage you to check out ADE Solutions, a new website from ADE. There you will find a variety of quizzes and assessments covering a whole range of behavior health related topics, including substance use, gambling, mental health disorders, eating disorders, and the like. If you have concerns about yourself or a loved one in these areas, uh, please uh, access the website and check out the assessments. Or if you simply want to expand your knowledge on these topics, On the education tab on that website, we have a variety of quizzes, uh, as well as other podcasts similar to the one that you just listened to. You can find that at www.ade.solutions, or you can link to it from our corporate website, www.adeincorp.com.